Welcome to this Sourced Week in Review. Another one comes around and it's always a good week when Queensland wins a State of Origin yes, game. My is. name's Michael Crutcher, George McDonald. Good week. Yeah, it's been a great week. Cold week though. Cold. Oh, I'm in a jumper. It's, it's unusual just freezing. Yeah, it's freezing. What's happened to Brisbane? It's freezing. Yeah. This is Melbourne-like weather, but anyhow, we are 1-0 up in the Origin game and that's the first topic we're going to talk about this week because we talk often here about the importance of sport to not just free-to-air television but television and yep. the fact that sport is just a staple of it and there's none better than the state of origin. It gets eclipsed by Olympic Games at times and, of course, Ash Barty's wonderful Australian Open tennis win oh, yes, but yes, the yes. bankable thing every year is origin game one, two and three. We just played origin game one. So was it a success on television? How many people watched? It was a success, I reckon, and uh, the numbers reflect it. Uh, so we had 1.77 million Metro viewers, 741,000 regional viewers. And then the interesting stat this year, which uh, Nine is cheering about, is uh, the 425,000 broadcast video on demand viewers. They saw an increase there of 52% compared to last year, which in turn made it the most streamed event of all time across all broadcasters there. So, yeah, it was the uh, highest rated TV program of the year so far. But was it the highest rated origin? No, it certainly wasn't, and that was also reported. So when compared to uh, Game 1 of 2019, we've... um, Viewers fell, you know, 200,000 by 200,000 roughly. Um, so that's all viewers, whether you're yeah. watching traditionally, streaming, etc. Now, if you went to media and tried to find out just how sex- successful it was, here we go. I'm going to read out two different headlines. Origin opener shatters all-time viewer streaming records. Massive. Headline one. <laughs> Headline two, viewers turning off nine. Mm. Same story, same topic, different outlets. Now, Origin Opener shatters all-time viewer streaming records. That's reported by the Sydney Morning Herald, Mm -hmm. which is, of course, owned by the Knight Entertainment Group. Conveniently, yes. The same company that shows the uh, game itself. Yep. It was hardly going to put out a piece to say numbers were down. No, of course not. And the Daily Telegraph, viewers turning off nine owned by news corp a rival of channel nine mm-hmm. sees it in a different way which is one of the really interesting things about the way that media cover the television shows and the general efforts of rivals in australia i always say when i worked in media we didn't need general critics <coughs> in media because our biggest critics were other media outlets mm-hmm. so it wasn't like you know at the time and let's face it media's almost permanently under criticism, but it doesn't matter that you might have, say, politicians or someone else who are criticising it because the biggest critics are the rival media outlets. So here we go, nine, uh, trying to claim credit for a good origin um, and it's got its rival News Corp who thinks differently. But I must say, nine is pushing it uphill here because the numbers were down a bit um, of course, um, so it is trying to cherry pick a stat and do its best with that it stat. It is, it is. How did you see it? Um, how do you mean as in terms of the viewership numbers? Or oh, just on Origin 1 in terms of TV. I thought it was great. I thought it was a great game. I honestly wasn't sure 
how competitive Queensland was going to be. And I think maybe that's uh, a factor which saw the, the minor sort of decrease in viewership there. Um, you were a true believer though, weren't you? Sure. I was always a true believer. You've got you to back the Queenslanders. But um, given the result, I reckon we'll have a pretty decent audience for game two. Absolutely. That's a good point. That might really engage some of the um, New South Wales supporters. Yes, to it watch might. The, the game in Perth in two weeks on Sunday. Um, what about the younger audiences? We talk a lot on this podcast about the fact that these younger audiences just have so many options now, as we all do, but they exploit them so much better than anyone else does. What about younger audiences? Do you think they care as much about State of Origin as we did when we'd rush home from school and think, here we go, it's Origin night? Yeah, no, I still remember that fondly as a kid and I still do it to, to this day, but I just, I'm not sure if the tradition is really there for the younger audiences. I mean, you know, as I said, when I was a kid, the Origin nights, they were an event. You know, the neighbours would gather at the house, there'd be a big barbecue, there'd be drinks and there's the atmosphere, a very yeah. exciting atmosphere. Yeah. And in that sense, I struggle to understand how it misses a generation, particularly if, you know, there's younger brothers, like at my house, I don't know how you yeah. miss it, but, um, you know, aside from then being the competing content, there's just so much available yeah. and competing for young people's attention. But sport is still one of those important meeting points for, for our nation, for, for states, for everyone. So... It's, yeah, it's hard to know if it's missed that younger generation or and why. I guess we'll find out in time to come. I must say I still find the kickoff too late. Um, yeah, the 8.10. 8.10's late in Australia. It's not late in the US, mm -hmm. but it's late in Australia. Um, the grand final from memory kicks off at 7.30pm. Mm -hmm. So we've got a grand final at 7.30, albeit a Sunday. I still think it's too late. I, I still think it's too late for little kids. I've seen my kids struggle to stay awake till the oh, end. Yeah. The next day at school's brutal. It is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a late game. It finishes it after is. 10. My days as a sports writer, I hated the, t the lateness of it because we would push deadlines yeah. really uh, significantly to get them to the printing press on time. So I think, to me, I think... Nine needs to uh, look at that. Of course, it will say that it'll lose uh, revenue opportunity then with um, with the, the pre-match build-up and mm -hmm. being able to stack that with ads, but just bring it forward half an hour. I know it's not that easy. The other thing is I think this is a continued test for sport, especially with the younger generation. And we've seen in the US in particular the way that some sports are trying to say, well, how do we get quicker mm -hmm. uh, and just tweak ourselves to fit that generation? Baseball is the best example at the moment. It's experimenting in its minor leagues with things like um, uh, pitch clocks. So you have 14 seconds between pitches. Oh, keeps the game moving. You've got to do it within yeah, 14 right. seconds. Okay. If you have runners on base, it's 18 seconds. Right. I think the average length of a baseball game in the US in the last 15 years has expanded by something like 20 minutes. Right. So they know the younger generation doesn't have that much time to sit there and watch that. So they're very conscious of trying to do that. Mm -hmm. Rugby league in its own way, I think, has done versions of that with its, I guess, appeal to six again rule changes, these little rule changes they brought in for better or for worse, but needing to keep the game upbeat and keep it modern. Because let's face it, rugby league back decades ago was a contest with unlimited tackles. Now, of course, if you put that on now, people will be switching off at a beach, pretty average TV viewing. So let's see what happens in the US. Let's see what happens for the rest of this um, tr this competition between... 
Queensland and New South Wales. I think we can probably assess it where it sits at the end of the three games, but I'm pretty sure every TV executive around the country is watching what's happening with these ratings to work out how much does TV uh, sports still matter. Mm-hmm. I think it matters enormously. Oh, absolutely. I agree. And we'll see what happens next. Now, something else we talk about a bit on this podcast is, of course, Twitter and Elon Musk and the yes. nastiness of Twitter. There's a few different things this week. What's happened with Elon Musk? Is he buying Twitter or not? Well, we don't know, but this week the news is that he's threatened to walk away from the whole thing. So I'll give a brief summary in the, the last few sort of key events. So he's threatened to withdraw from the purchase of Twitter because he wants to see more information that uh, that Twitter's calculated the 5% of its users are spam or bot accounts. So these are the... the, the the allegedly fake accounts yep. that Twitter uses to bump up its numbers yep. and to make it look as so it's bigger than it is. Yep, so they did, they did calculations and they came back and said, yep, less than 5%. Elon goes, yeah, nah, not <laughs> sure about that. Um, so he's been chasing that information ever since. Now, the first thing that happened was Musk would uh, request that information. That triggered the sort of pause of the deal at the yep. time and that sent the, the stock price sort of plummeting down uh, plummeting down that day. Remember that? Um, anyhow, um, he said, though, after that, that he's still committed to going ahead with the deal. Yep. Go to May yep. 17th. He's, uh, he said the deal can't move forward. So it's a, yep. it's a change, of, change of narrative there because Twitter's allegedly reluctant to share the findings indicating what percentage of the users are spam or bot accounts. And now just four days ago, he is threatening to walk away because he accuses Twitter of actively resisting and thwarting his information rights as outlined in his deal. But um, so, yeah. so what do we make of this then? Because there's also the thought that maybe Elon seeking $61 billion for Twitter might be a touch exy and maybe I can use this as uh, leverage. But what do you make of the whole thing? Look, I think Twitter may have fluffed their numbers a little bit. I don't think that it's quite as low as less than 5%. Um, there's, just, there's just so much spam and, and bot activity on, on Twitter. And in fact, you can actually go and make a bot if you'd like to. I've actually <laughs> investigated that. Um, if that number is higher, that actually causes problems um, for the deal and it gives, uh, gives Twitter a less accurate valuation of the company. Um, and then Elon is right when he made his comment saying, you know, the numbers are important for the company's financial health um, because it's going to be important to know how many people you can advertise to. And if those numbers aren't right, then there's a... There's it's, r- it's right that not just the, the bot accounts, but also the disengaged accounts as well, ones that lie a bit dormant. But there's a difference between bot accounts and... Anonymous accounts. Correct. You know, there's a big difference. And one of those this week has uh, been under the spotlight. And it, it's a really interesting situation for Twitter, this. There's an account called at PRGuy17, I think yep, it's called. That's it. And this is a guy who um, has done a fair bit, Jordan, over time to support the Victorian Premier and government. Yes. But this week, um, this account's been involved in a defamation action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a judge has ordered that Twitter disclose some information to work out who's behind this account. Now, anyone who uses Twitter 
enough knows that there are a stack of accounts that are anonymous essentially that you cannot tell who these people are they often have a lot to say they've got plenty of followers Mm -hmm. but twitter just turns a blind eye while this happens um but just tell us about how pr guy rose to prominence because he did rise to prominence um through the COVID pandemic. He did. He rose to prominence uh, and became one of Victoria's sort of loudest political voices. Um, he's a persistent supporter of, of Premier Dan Andrews. And you're right, during that pandemic and the various lockdowns is when he really rose. Um, the account has this ability to sort of harness the attention and emotions of frustrated Victorians during that time. And then it sort of funnels that energy through hashtag branded posts. Yeah. Um, which is often aimed at politicians who don't necessarily align with what PR guy does. Yeah. So, for an example, uh, within an hour, PR guy can hijack or create his own hashtag, his or her, who knows, um, and that can become the number one trending topic in Australia on Twitter. As someone who has previously trended highly on Twitter during my journalism days, I must say it doesn't take a whole lot to trend high on Twitter in Australia. (laughs) However, the people who do this do like to use these as... um, as showcases they do um and they like to be able to say that they've done this but you're right, th- this stuff that comes off this account it's not particularly nice at times it gets quite nasty with it politicians does. um and so what we've had this week is someone who's looked for defamation action on this it's going through the court so we're at there what do you think he, he's spoken about freedom of speech and the need for freedom of speech mm. what do you think about this i'm all for freedom of speech but don't do it behind the guise of a, of a fake name or a fake account. You know, yep. put your name out there and stand behind what you're saying. Yeah. That's what I think. He's been quite active this week too, stirring things up from what of I course. see. Um, but I must say, I just have such little time for people who jump on Twitter and are anonymous. I mean, I, I was trained as a journalist and you had to put your name on everything you wrote. Mm-hmm. And you copped plenty of flack for things that you wrote. But that's part of the business. That's part of it. it. To me, it's just cowardly. I, and to be as vocal and lead to what's some pretty nasty stuff at times. I don't care what side of politics you're on. I really couldn't care less. But I just think this anonymous stuff, and I know I've said this so many times on this podcast, but Twitter has stood by and let this stuff happen. Mm-hmm. And that's why Twitter is just such a tough place to go um i mean i curate my twitter account my twitter feed now so it's just a news feed i just have no time for political views on it from whatever side the people are on uh and i still think that's one issue that elon musk has to face and that twitter is just a pretty nasty place at times and i I just think if you could break down and people have to actually put a real identity to their to their posts we're probably a big step along to Twitter being a nicer place to be. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think people. some people would say half the things if uh, their name was attached to it. Some uh, supporters of PR Guide this week have said, well, if you, if you make people say who they are on Twitter, then you could um, shut off what is a vital avenue for whistleblowers of corporations to come out and um, reveal information. That is a load of rubbish from my viewpoint. Okay. There are plenty of ways that um, people can get information out in this day and age, I think. But look, yeah, you might have that happen every now and again. But the fact is that the flip side of it is it just gives people who are anonymous 
the ability to say a whole bunch of stuff that's probably defamatory. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's not reined in. So, anyway, that's my Twitter rant for this week. <laughs> One final thing this week. We're going to talk tech here. And some people might not know what we're talking about in the sense of some of these tech parts, but they probably use them all the time. So, tell us about the USB-C situation in the EU, the European Union. Yes, so, the, the USB-C in the EU... Uh, and where Apple sits about this, because this has been quite an interesting story this week. Yeah, it has. So Newswhip sent through the report this week, and it, this week, sorry, and it looks at media versus public interest on a few topics. And the topic that caught my eye uh, surrounds Apple's famous Worldwide Developers Conference, where typically media interest is pretty high because Apple, of, you know, often announces new products, new software, something revolutionary which is going to make everyone buy the next thing. fly journeys across the world to sit there and dutifully take notes. Yes, but competing for media attention this week was a decision by the European Union which will make USB-C ports mandatory on all small and medium-sized electronic devices sold in the EU by 2024. So most people listening now would have a USB-C port. They're a small port, aren't they? Yes, small port. So commonly found on the MacBook Pros, like which, which we have here. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's like a flattened USB that we're familiar with, like a little, yeah. little thumb drive. Yep. That's the USB-A, just a little fun fact. Oh, there you go. There you go. But yeah, so the USB-C is the, is the newer technology. It's faster, it's more efficient. Now, given the, that decision and the knowledge that none of Apple's iPhones currently offer USB-C ports. Uh, they actually still rely on the, the decade-old technology, like the Lightning, the Lightning port. The one that kids damage really easily. Yeah, that's yep. the one. That's the one. And you've got to buy new ones all the time. Very quickly, yep. media picked this up and they began reporting on whether or not Apple would implement USB-Cs in their new iPhone 14, which everyone expects is going to be part of the yep. Worldwide Developers Conference, which is yep. still happening at the moment. Um, so, yeah, over the last three days, public interest has been really high on this topic and it's actually buried the majority of interest in any of the announcements Apple's made and I don't know any of them. <laughs> See, that's it, isn't it? You can come out and make all these big announcements, but the fact is that self-interest is such a big thing mm-hmm. in how people consume news. So, this whole thing about, will I need to buy you know, a new iPhone? Yeah. Will this port work here? The people can underestimate sometimes the interest in those sorts of stories because a lot of people have got these things or worried they won't have them. That's exactly right. And, yeah, exactly. Like if I have the iPhone now, I'm wondering do I need to get a new iPhone? Do I need to get a different phone altogether? Or what's Apple going to actually do? Are they going to listen to us? Anything like that? It will be very interesting to see that one. That's a nice little sidelight this week. How's the weekend looking for you? Um, this weekend, just got a few gigs, one tonight, two tomorrow, but otherwise I'll be home in the warmth of the apartment, I think. Taking a heater with you to the gigs? Um, I'll take a jacket. I'm not sure there'll be a heater there. That'd be nice if they did. I'm jumping on a plane to go to Cairns. Oh, right. <laughs> What's the weather like there? Uh, it's going to be 25 tomorrow. Oh, and oh, as local media reported today, there's a cold snap. It's dropping to 16 cold snap. at night. So it's going to be 16 at night. So I'll take that as a cold snap. Yeah, compared to what we're getting here. I'll mate. enjoy 25 during the day and I'll hope yeah. the Mighty Norse Devils can win up there tomorrow Absolutely. night where they play the Northern Pride. Um, and hopefully I'll have to worry about sun cream. That'll be good. <laughs> have a good weekend. You too.